Hi everyone, I'm Rachel Hurley of Sweetheart Pub, and this week on Music Rookie is a conversation with music supervisor Joe Rudge. He's based in Brooklyn and known for his edgy projects, such as Room, Blue Valentine, The Big Sick, Eighth Grade, and Midsummer. But he works on bigger projects too, most recently working with Netflix and Ron Howard on Hillbilly Elegy. Fun fact, Joe used to be my boss. I was the assistant music supervisor on two kids shows in the early 2000s, a Disney show and a Nickelodeon show. And those jobs really taught me a lot about how music gets put into film and television. So I figured I'd hit Joe up and pick his brain. In this episode, he gave me the lowdown on where he finds music, the best way to connect with a music supervisor, and why this is such a great time to get sync licenses. Sync licenses. Sync sync licenses. Sync licenses. And to think it all started with Z Games. Right. (laughs) Are you working on anything right now? Are you just taking a break? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Um, I'm working on a on a a documentary series for HBO Max. Okay. Um, So that's exciting, and that's through Alex Gibney's company, Jigsaw. And uh, I'm in the middle of it. Documentaries are still shooting. There are no restrictions to to product any sort of documentary production because um, they don't require huge sets with production assistants and grips um, and and what have you. So documentaries are are much like animation are go, go, go. Um, A a lot are up and running right now. So I just lucked out and and worked on this HBO series. Through a, through a showrunner I've worked with in the past. And then I'm also working on um, wrapping up a, a feature film called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I don't know if you ever saw those Jenny Slate short films, Marcel the Shell. I did not. They're, they're kind of brilliant. You should check them out after this. Yeah. Okay. They're made into a feature length film. So I'm working Are on they those. on like YouTube or something? Yeah, it's on okay. YouTube. Um, okay. Check it out. It's great. And so, yeah, I'm busy between those. I, I wrapped up a bunch of projects last month, which is nice because they all pay out, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a nice cushion for all of this. I haven't had to worry too much financially this year. Um, but you worry about 2021 because it doesn't seem like any of these productions will start this summer or, po- or even this fall. I, I definitely would be interested in hearing like what a day in the life of a music supervisor is like what are the kind of things that you do every day and of course where do you find music for your projects and um, what kind of stuff are you looking for and I know that I've been told before that there are I've read before about how like if you want to put music into a production you need to have like a instrumental version of that song also is that something that you always have to have? No, I don't need to have no. it at all. It's preferred. Okay. It is preferred, but you don't have to have it. Okay. And then um, if you have any advice for musicians about how to get sync deals. Yeah. Well, well it, it, these are the, the basic broad strokes, but they're all essential questions, yeah. especially for emerging. I mean, anybody who's a new, who's just doesn't know where to start. Um, but before we get to that, I do want to ask you, what are you listening to? The problem with my job, as you know, is that I get sucked into whatever's my immediate concern. 
So last week I was swapping out something for this Netflix film, almost exclusively listening to music from 2011. That sounded like the Lumineers. And then I'm working on this, this Marcel the Shell, and we need to replace like a jock jam, right? We need to replace Wannabe by Spice Girls. So I've been listening to late 90s, early aughts, bubblegum pop, radio-friendly music. And then projects I'm doing for HBO Max, I'm listening to a lot of underscore. So I'm listening to a lot of stuff that sounds like Cliff Martinez or Philip Glass, the, those two great composers. And that's something that's good to talk about as like what I do as a music supervisor is often it's not just sitting around with great music all day. It's very specific and tailored to the project I'm working on. So when, right. you, when you're, so, but I think to pivot off of that, as people like to say these days, for example, one of the bands I listen to because I just sometimes that was related to score, but as a contemporary artist, I've been listening to a lot of William Tyler and he's also a composer. He's just getting his, is dipping his toes into composition, but his last couple albums all on merge records, right? right. So uh, they're so good. They're so good. Yeah. All instrumental. Um, really enjoyed them. That's something I've been listening to um, quite a bit lately. So, but even last night, cooking dinner with my wife, and I put on that great Jimmy Cliff live album from the, I think from 1976 or 77. I've got it on vinyl, and it's like, God, what a what a beautiful album to listen to. And uh, that just sort of carried us through dinner. So those are like the two immediate things that just jumped out to me that the music mm-hmm. I listened to. Um, and then I've also put in when you talk about just mellow music, just I put on the great jazz guitarist, Wes Montgomery, and then Charlie mm-hmm. Christian. So mm-hmm. it's not always new music I'm listening to. It's like, uh, and that's just great music because it's, I, I love jazz guitar, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, just to listen to those guys who are both masters, but completely different from different ends. I wouldn't say Wes Montgomery and Charlie Christian are, are necessarily, um, they're, they're like the two extremes of jazz guitar in some ways. So anyway, that's what I'm listening to. So let's just get into like a, quick round, a quick session of questions. Sure. So just go ahead and tell me what is the day in a life of a music supervisor? What do you do daily? What's your job like? Every day is something different and it always, it's whatever curveball is thrown at me by the products I'm working on. Um, but at its base level, I like to divide my days either creatively where I'm just focused on creative needs for whatever project I'm working on. And that's essential. I can't do paperwork and creative at the same time. I can't just work on creative for a couple hours, then jump and do paperwork for a, for a couple hours. So I like to concentrate on, on either one. And so creative always wins, right? That's, right. that's why I got into music supervision. So if, one, if I can spend one day just concentrating on the creative, that, that's great. And, uh, but then that's mostly coupled with one day doing the paperwork. Because as a music supervisor, you're, I look at my role as, to, as a creative producer. My job is to manage all things music related and it could be creative and it's also doing budgets, making deals, making sure everything's accounted for legally. Um, so yeah, I'll usually have another day um, where it's just exclusively doing the paperwork involved. Now, what's consistent between the two is I'm always on the phone, either talking to licensors, talking to pitch people who are sending me new music, um, or just catching up with contacts. So it's important. My job is very social. So, and I think part of my being a successful music supervisor is that outreach and talking to people. It's, it's essential. Set up for me how um, it works for you to choose the music for a project. Are you sent 
the whole project at once and told we need music for this scene, this scene, this scene, this scene? Are you choosing where the music goes? Is the director choosing where the music goes? Are they giving you like keywords that they're looking for for specific uh, sections of a production? Or are you coming up with all that information? How does that all work? Yes, often I'm either given a script and the director will ask me to read the script and then I'll spot it on my own. I'll bring my own ideas to the table. Um, a lot of directors do that. They want to hear where I vision the music placements and where the score would possibly go. Um, so yeah, that, that, that is actually the most fun for me. Um, and then of course, if the film's already completed, often I'll get a rough cut and I'll go over the rough cut with the director and they'll have ideas of where they want to put music. And then I'll, I'll say, oh, well, we could also put a music cue here or over there. Um, so it is collaborative. Um, it's pretty obvious where you should use music, right? Often yeah. I, I, the director and I are, are, have the same vision because it's just, you can just see where there are gaps and where there are holes and where there should be music over a montage or maybe there should be music while they're in a restaurant. These things are pretty obvious. I say it's pretty obvious, but this comes after all these years of experience. And do uh, directors come to you saying, I want this to have like an indie rock feel, or I want this to be Americana based, or I want this to be ambient music, or are you just like, are you coming to them and saying, this is how the music should sound? This is what fits. No, they'll, they'll come with ideas already. Um, and then that's my job to take that cue because you do need some guidance, right? You want it. Ultimately I'm here to make the director's vision or um, as the best it can be, right? I'm not the director, so I have to just compliment the director. But part of that is letting the director know, hey, that's a great idea, but how about we try this instead? Um, so it, it, that's the important thing about collaboration. And what's so fun about film and television, um, it makes it a collaborative medium. It's never one person usually has the answer. So I know the one thing that probably most people ask you all the time is where do you find your music? Do people submitting it through companies? Do musicians have agents? Where do you find it? I do work with a lot of different licensing companies um, and a handful who specialize in independent artists. And I'm always reaching out to them for music ideas because I know they have great A&R people who are scouring all over the indie world to try to find great music. And um, then also because they make licensing easy. It's just a very streamlined, simplified process. Um, and that's essential for me because licensing is not difficult, um, but it's surprising how complicated some people can make it if they don't know how it works. So I want to work with people who make the licensing part easy. So yeah, I, I reach out to a lot of licensing companies and ask for ideas. And also because I'll have a budget in mind and I'll tell the licensing company, this is what I have. And they'll set, pitch me artists with that fee in mind. So yeah, Pitch companies um, are huge. They're essential to how I do my job. Can you name a few of them so that people know the, which ones to go check out? Yeah, sure. Um, I love Bank Robber Music. I think they're great. I've worked with them a bunch. Uh, company I worked with lately called Mixtape Music I thought are great. And then look, Downtown CD Baby. I think they're the same company right now. But CD Baby, I've had a lot of success with. And I think they're pretty great. Um, TuneCore are amazing. Um, TuneCore, I've, I've had a lot of sync success with. But I think those are some great places to start. And then just the indies, right, on their own. I work a lot with Domino. 
Yeah, Domino Publishing and Record Label. So you, I think so you mean right. directly with labels? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then Secretly Canadian, right? right. The whole Secretly Empire, which includes Numero Group. Didn't they They're just fantastic. buy Ghostly? Yep, they just they just merged with Ghostly International, which yeah. is a a pretty pretty brilliant move because they both complement each other. They they have completely different rosters. Ghostly, I've had a lot of success with them. Love them. So basically, if you want to get into uh, licensing your music, you need to either go through a distributor. Uh, li sync licensing company or be on a label that has people uh, on staff that do that. Yeah. Do you have any advice for musicians trying to get sync deals if they have all of that set up? The, the hardest thing is getting noticed, right? But I think, hmm, I, I don't know if I can give an answer to that because I think sometimes, you know, what you got to do is just work with the best people. Right. And I think that's the hardest thing. Like how do you get access to these great places they have their own A&R department, so they're going to weed people out. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the only thing you can do, though, if you're actively trying to get sync placements, go to things like South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. Go to local film festivals. Go, um, go to even any sort of music festivals, conferences, and shake hands and meet people, meet managers. I feel like that's the best way to get out there and meet people who are in our industry. But, like, let Another example, like in Memphis, for example, you have the Memphis Film Festival. Right. Just go to Memphis. It's what, it's, first of all, it's a great film festival. And mm -hmm. there are all sorts of filmmakers and music publishers and record labels who are there. Um, right. Meet those people. Get your music out there. You never know. You never know who you're going to meet. I always tell people the music business is just a business of networking and meeting people and knowing people and knowing them long enough that you can just call them up and ask them, how do I do this? Or how do I do that? Or do you know a person that does this or whatever? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, for example, I remember once I was flown to a festival, it was a music film festival in Louisville, Kentucky. I met a lot of bands there, um, but those bands, they knew they're in Louisville. There's not a lot of access to people in my industry in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so I think they made the effort to come to this festival and, sought me out and wanted to talk to me about music supervision. And that gave them like, that's exactly what you need to do. Cause I'm not going to come to them. There's just too much music. There's, right. I don't even know where to start. But how do you feel about people just approaching you out of the blue? Are you like cool with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm You're okay in, with like, it. Like a conference situation or can come people come sit outside your place of business and just wait for you, hand you a CD. <laughs> you know what? Absolutely. I, I always thought I, South by Southwest is a great example. They, they, I'm always, usually go to South by Southwest to, to speak on a sync panel. I've done it three times. And look, if that person's going to show up at two o'clock on a weekday to hear me talk about music licensing, I will absolutely give them a couple minutes. Right. Right. And take their CD, take their music and hear them out. Um, it, it's just worth a shot. So. Right. Totally. But I do think, what artists can do though is really that it's a hard approach. The chances of me then listening to that music and then placing it are slim. I think artists really need to go out there and, and learn like, okay, who's pitching music? Who, who's right. going to help me? Like I said, TuneCore is a great example. I think I've done a lot of licensing with TuneCore. Where do they find those artists? I have no idea, but they, every time I've asked for something specific, they deliver. Well, it, so. it just seems like on a numbers level, if you get hooked up with somebody that actually pitches music, then they're going to pitch to your music to 
a multiple, a slew of people, but if they meet you, then you have like a slim chance of it being perfect for the production you're working on at this moment in time. Right. Right. Well, you never know. Exactly. There could be that, like, uh, it's a Hail Mary, but sometimes it works. Right. Can you name something that musicians make mistakes by doing? Oh, wow. Well, one thing is, look, I know everybody's eager once they make contact with a music supervisor to then follow up, but just, just watch out. <laughs> just right. last thing you want to do is annoy a music supervisor. So if you've made that outreach and the music supervisor responded, if just that's enough right there. That's a victory in itself. I yeah. wouldn't go on to then endlessly follow up with the music supervisor to see if they've listened to your music. Because right. by that point, you could probably annoy somebody. I mean, right. it is. It's a real crapshoot, all of this. But it's just, like I said, you never know. It's like sometimes you listen to that one thing, and you're like, ah, oh, wow, that's, um, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And it happens sometimes. Do you share your finds with other music supervisors? Yeah. Are you like, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm friends with a, a handful of, of other music soups. And yeah, we'll often say like, hey, listen to this, check this out. And uh, we, I have no problem doing that, especially with independent artists because they need the exposure, right? It's not like I'm, I've, I've just heard this great new artist who signed to, I don't know, Beggar's Group and not many people know about them. So I'm going to keep it a secret. It's I found some kid who plays steel guitar and, Virginia, this guy's a find. Well, I'm going to send him to a couple of music supervisor friends because you never know. Right. I think I, like that's somebody, that person probably could, could use the exposure. Is that kind of uh, the, one of the perks of the job is feeling like you're giving new artists their big break? Well, if I could help just, yeah, if, if music licensing and whatever money I can uh, throw their direction, that just helps print a new record, spend more time in the studio, uh, more time away from a day job to concentrate on writing music. And that that's the victory. Um, right. I mean, there have been some bands um, who, you, you, the problem is with a lot of licensing, you're not legally allowed to reach out and and let them know how that sync. I've had a couple people tell me off the record that like, look, you know, by doing this one sync placement, you let that band um, tour for an extra two months. These things really do make a difference. Right. Um the bottom line and it's not substantial right it's not oh wow that money i i could put money down for my first for my mortgage on my, my my first home but uh but you know it's those little things especially with indie artists where it's just enough money that they're not they're eating mcdonald's every day they could go to i don't know the, the, you know applebee's five guys little things <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> and that's and that's important and then also just the ego that i remember I, I put an artist in the big sick that um, Michael Showalter, Judd Apatow, Canal Mount Johnny film, and wasn't much money, but this artist was over the moon. He couldn't believe that he was put in this film. And it, it just, he was walking on water, I guess, for, for the rest of the year. He, just, he just was so happy. And that, that's rewarding too, just to know that, that a lot of these artists are just looking for somebody to say like, hey, listen to my music. And then to think you're put in a Judd Apatow film that I think just blows their minds. It just gives them a lot of self-esteem. Yeah, I mean, that's the thrill of my job, too, is that, you know, when I have an artist that gets in Rolling Stone or Billboard or whatever, I feel like I just got into it, you know? So right. I, get the, I get the thrill of it, and I get the thrill of telling them and everything. And I have multiple clients, so they experience it on their personal level, but I get to experience it with different artists 
you know, at different times all through the year. And I don't, Definitely. if I didn't have that like kind of adrenaline rush, then, you know, it wouldn't be worth all the other crap I have to do. <laughs> no, no. Right. So true. Well, okay. That, I think that's great. Think, I think that's all I need. Okay. Excellent. There, yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to add? Is there anything that, you know, you think is helpful information? Yeah. Look, this is such an unusual media landscape right now. I mean, five years ago, Netflix was really just starting to gear up the original productions. And now look, um, mm. Apple it has a ferocious slate of projects. It's just, there's so HBO Max, right? They're really gearing up. It's such a great time to place music. Um, mm. there, there's so much work and so many, so much, there's a huge need for music and content right now. Um, and there are productions happening left and right on platforms I'm not even thinking of. So it's a right. great time to do what we do. And it's a great time for uh, artists to just be proactive and try to get their music in, in here somehow because we're in desperate need of it. Well, thank you so much. I yeah. really appreciate you doing this. It was fun to catch up. Always good to catch up. And uh, yeah, I'm down to do this anytime. So thank you. Cool. Oh, thank you. And there you have it. Thanks again to Joe for taking the time to chat with me and giving us an insider look at the world of sync licensing. Now to sum it up, Joe says, get out there and network. Find the people that will go to bat for you, whether it's through a digital distributor, a label, a sync agent, or even a music supervisor. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in more insider information just like this, be sure to check out our weekly newsletter. You can sign up on sweetheartpub.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next one comes out. And if you have any specific questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can tweet me or shoot me an email. I'm not hard to find. The music in this episode was created by Frank Keith of Great Peacock. And big thanks to Brandon Kinder for producing this episode. Now, go do something useful. Go do something useful.